Our Lord, you are the everlasting God, the creator of heavens and the earth. And Lord, we thank you that even when we are weak, when we are weary, you are here to give us strength. When we go through challenges in life, your grace is sufficient for us, for your power is made perfect in weakness. And so, Lord, we thank you for these great promises that we can cling to, because we confess that we live in a world of brokenness in which we at times contribute to the brokenness of this world. But we're thankful, Lord Jesus, that you've overcome this world and that you share your victory with us. And I pray that today as we read from Scripture and as we seek to apply it to our lives, that you will help us to follow you more faithfully and more diligently. That you will teach us and rebuke us, correct us and train us in righteousness through your word this morning. And may we take what we are learning and go out and put it into practice. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Now, one of the really cool things about life is that we have options. We have options. We have all kinds of options out there. God's given us the opportunity to make decisions about, for instance, how we are going to spend our time and our money, about who we're going to spend our time with, about um, even thinking about uh, just a moment ago, I was thinking about half the service, we have food in Fellowship Hall. There are frequently many, many options out there for what you get to eat. God gives us the opportunity to make decisions based on all kinds of options. And here in 2018, we have more options than ever before. Think about, for instance, if you go to the supermarket to buy milk. In the past, generations ago, if you went to the supermarket to buy milk, you just get milk. Today, you probably have at least 30 different options of the type of milk you're going to get. You can buy skim milk, 1% milk, 2% milk, whole milk, you could also buy fortified milk, organic milk, rice milk, almond milk, coconut milk, goat's milk. If you want something kind of sweet, you can buy chocolate milk or strawberry milk. If you want to go down the route of almond milk, you can choose either regular milk or enriched milk. You can choose sweetened or unsweetened. You can choose original or vanilla. There are probably more flavors, but those are the ones I'm familiar with. And then for each of these types of milk, you typically have multiple brands of milk from which to choose. So there are lots of options out there for milk. And on a much bigger scale, there are lots of options out there for how we spend our time, how we spend our money, who, again, we are going to spend our time with, where we're going to work, where we're going to go to school, where we're going to live, um, what type of occupation we're going to do, um, all kinds of options of, of even what we're going to believe, what we're going to value, what type of morals are we going to live with. There are a lot of options out there. We really live in the era of options, and options require decisions. I mean, other options. I think about churches. Here in Port Washington, there are at least 15 different churches that you have the option to be involved with. And because of modern transportation, you could easily travel to other towns, and that multiplies the options even further. So we, again, we have all kinds of options, and with options, we have to make decisions about what option are we going to choose. And our decisions reflect what our priorities are. And so the question for us this morning is, what are the priorities that drive our decisions? What are the priorities that are working inside of us to drive our decisions? The reality is the decision of what type of milk to buy is relatively trivial, even though some people put a whole lot of thought and effort and research into what milk is best. But the decisions of what we are going to do with our lives, how we're going to use our influence in our lives, how we're going to relate to others, and how God fits in that whole picture, those decisions 
make a world of difference. I invite you to turn your Bibles this morning to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. We are in a series right now called Passing the Baton, which is based on this metaphor of running a relay race. How in a relay race, each runner has a responsibility to run hard themselves in their own leg of the journey. But then in a relay race, they also have the responsibility to pass that baton to the next runner. And it's the same way in the Christian faith. That we are called to run hard after Jesus ourselves, but then also to pass the baton of, of faith in Christ, pass the baton of the gospel to those around us as well. And so we are focusing on passing the baton. I'm going to read for us 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1-7, through 7, then we're going to dig into it. So I invite you to follow along. Paul writes to Timothy, You then, my son, be strong in the graces in Christ Jesus. And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Now the main thing I want to focus on in our time together today is this. That if you want to pass the baton of faith to others, then follow Jesus diligently. If you want to pass the baton of faith to others, there are a lot of different factors involved in that, but, but fundamental and that is following Jesus diligently. We have a lot of decisions to make in our lives. A lot of decisions. But the most important decision is the decision to follow Jesus. And then allowing that decision and that commitment to Christ to influence every other decision. Every other priority in our lives. So if you want to pass the baton of faith to others, follow Jesus diligently. Now as we come here to this passage in 2 Timothy chapter 2. We have to understand it's all about passing the baton. Verse 2 specifically says, And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Now here's a little trivia for you. In the Bible, there are over 31,000 verses. But if you search from Genesis to Revelation among those 31,000 plus verses, you will not find a single verse that offers a more clear call to pass the baton of faith to others. There will be other verses about this topic, but none that are clearer than this. Because it says, The things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. There are four generations of faith represented here. There is Paul. Then there is Timothy. And then there are those who Timothy is going to teach and disciple. And then there is the next generation beyond that who those people are going to teach and disciple. Four generations of faith of passing the baton from one to the next, to the next, to the next. And so if Paul is pictured here as a spiritual father, then Timothy is like his spiritual son, which he, he is, they aren't biologically related. But that is how Paul is relating Timothy as a son. And so then Paul is also referring to his spiritual grandchildren and his spiritual great-grandchildren. And I'm sure he's thinking beyond that 
as well. And he says, the things you have heard me say, pass on to others. So what are the things that, that Timothy has heard Paul say? Well, I mean, they spent years together. And so Paul, or Timothy obviously heard Paul say a lot of different things. But we know from Paul's writings and from his ministry in the book of Acts that the hallmark of Paul's ministry, the hallmark of what Paul was passionate about and what he was teaching was about the death and resurrection of Jesus, the gospel, the victory that Jesus accomplished over sin and evil and death. And then he was also very passionate about how the gospel applies to our daily lives. And so these are the things that Timothy is to pass on to those in the generation spiritually beyond him. And so as we look at 2 Timothy 2.2, I think it could really be called the Disciple Maker's Creed. I mean, a creed is a saying, it's a mantra uh, that you memorize that, that really just captures the heartbeat of what you're seeking to do and believe and live. And so this is really the disciples maker, Disciple Maker's Creed. Take the things that I taught you and pass them on so that they can be passed on and on. That's the heartbeat of a disciple maker. That they are making disciples who will make more disciples who will make more disciples in the future. And this call to be a disciple maker, this, Paul, this call to pass on what we have received about Jesus applies to all of us. That's why in the first week of this series I asked the question, in whom are you investing spiritually? And I asked, can you name names in your mind of who you're investing in spiritually, wanting to see those people grow as followers of Jesus? Because this, it looks different in different people's lives. It plays out in various ways. But we all have the responsibility to invest in the spiritual growth of other people around us. I mean, if we think about what we call the up and out triangle here at Freedens, it talks about the three key relationships of Christ followers. This call to make disciples, this call to pass on the faith, pass the baton of faith to others around us, it relates to both our in and our out relationships. On the inside, it's about helping those who are already followers of Christ, helping them to grow even more as followers of Christ by investing in them and their growth. And our out relationship with the surrounding world is about sharing the gospel with people, trying to pass that baton to those who aren't yet running the race of faith and following Christ, but we want to share the gospel with them to help them become followers of Jesus. I want to show you a few pictures of, of some men who have invested in my life down through the years. I mean, there have been others, but these are eight other primary men through my Christian walk who have invested in my life, not from a distance. It's not like I just read their book or, or just heard their preaching somewhere. These are men who took me under their wing and invested in me one-on-one -on -one personally to help me grow as a follower of Christ. A couple of those men were those who introduced me to Christ for the first time. Others um, I knew for a handful of months, but they still significantly influenced me. Others were investing in my life for years. I would not be who I am today. I would not be here with you all this morning if not for the influence of these men who invested in my life, spiritually speaking. Not only would I not be a pastor, I don't think I'd be a follower of Jesus without the influence of these men passing that baton on to me. Now let me make a couple observations about those who, in, who, who influenced me and invested in my spiritual growth. One is that two of those men are younger than I am. And so I've said earlier in the series that, that it's not really a matter of biological age on who is qualified to invest in the spiritual growth of others. 
Two of them were younger than me. They still are younger than me because our ages don't change relative to one another as we get older. But back then, they were 19 years old. And I was, I mean, not, not a whole lot older than them, but a handful of months older than they were. But they were much more spiritually mature than I was. And they invested in me. And they had a huge influence in helping me to grow. On top of this, I want you to just recognize and apply 2 Timothy 2.2 to their lives. They are like spiritual fathers. And they, through their influence on me and others like me, they have spiritual grandchildren and great-grandchildren and probably beyond that. Because they took the initiative to invest spiritually in the lives of other people. They passed the baton. And so we have a responsibility to seek to pass the baton to those around us and to follow Jesus diligently in that process. But we have to understand that we don't do this out of our own strength. Look with me to verse 1. Paul says, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We are called to be strong. And, and you think about being strong, that typically sounds like, oh, just kind of gird yourself up, work hard, apply yourself, get, get in the weight room, whether literally or spiritually or whatever, get, work hard. And we are, are called to work hard. But this call to be strong is not a call to depend on our own willpower or our own work ethic or our own personality or thinking, okay, if I study really, really hard, then I will be able to, to share the gospel really, really effectively and, and answer any objections they have, and then that will make me fruitful. That's not what Paul is saying here. He's saying, be strong in the graces in Christ Jesus. He's saying, we don't, we don't cause growth in other people's lives. We don't have spiritual power to change people's hearts. It's God who does that. Be strong in the grace of God. Let, let God's grace and God's Holy Spirit, as we saw last week, empower us to grow personally as a follower of Jesus and empower us in investing in the spiritual growth of others. So we have to understand that running the race and passing the baton require God's empowering grace. We cannot do these things on our own. And related to this is the fact that it's God who changes people's hearts. It's God who changes people's hearts and people's lives. It's not us. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, the Apostle Paul is talking about himself and another uh, man named Apollos who is ministering, um, helping people to grow. And Paul says, I planted the seed and Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. Paul didn't say, I made it grow. He said, God made it grow. And so it shows we have a responsibility to plant seeds and to water seeds in people's lives, spiritually speaking, but it's God who makes them grow. So we need to understand that we can't change people's hearts. That is God's jurisdiction. A campus ministry called Crew has a saying about success in evangelism. I find it very helpful in all types of ministry. It says that success in evangelism is taking the initiative to share Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results to God. And I think that puts the priority in the right place. That the priority for actually changing the lives is God's. But the priority for taking the initiative to do so is ours. We have that responsibility, but not to do it out of our own strength, but to do it through the power of the Holy Spirit, to let the Holy Spirit guide us and empower us and trust God to be the one to work in other people's lives. 
And this applies not just in sharing the gospel through evangelism. It applies in all types of ministry, even in parenting. Parents have a tremendous responsibility to seek to run that race of faith well and to pass that baton on to their children. Yet at the same time, parents do not have the ability to control the direction of their children's lives. Children still have freedom. Children still have options of what they can choose. Children can choose to either follow Christ or they can choose to turn away from Christ. They have that freedom and that option. Parents have the responsibility, but ultimately we have to understand that if you're a parent, I'm a parent, I think about this quite often, I want to give everything I have to pass that baton well to my children. But I don't have the ability to control their hearts and lives. It calls us to pray, pray fervently for our children or for others to whom we are seeking to pass the baton. We take the initiative through the power of the Holy Spirit. But we have to leave those results to God because it's God who changes people's lives. But we still have a responsibility. And all of us, regardless of whether you're a parent, regardless of whether you have children in the house, all of us have that responsibility to seek to pass that baton on to those around us. Family members, friends, co-workers, neighbors, classmates. It's a, it's a tremendous responsibility and a tremendous joy. But one of the best ways that we can take hold of that responsibility to pass the baton is by us choosing to follow Jesus diligently. That is a call that, that Paul lays out for us, that we need to follow Jesus diligently. I mean, we can say all we want about Jesus to our, 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 our family and to our friends and others. We can talk a lot about Jesus. But you've probably heard, actions speak louder than words. And so it's the actions with which we live that demonstrate following Jesus diligently and can be a role model for others in, in following Jesus as well. I want to come back to this passage now. Um, the rest of the passage that we're focusing on this morning is talking about following Jesus diligently. Paul says in verse 3, Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Now, as Paul is talking here about suffering, he's talking specifically about persecution because of being a follower of Jesus. There are all kinds of other types of suffering, but Paul's talking especially about persecution because of following Jesus. And Paul suffered a lot. I mean, he was in prison as he's writing this letter to Timothy. He was in prison many times. He was beaten by rods multiple times. He was whipped Multiple times he was stoned, not, not with drugs, but with, with stones. They were trying to kill him. On top of this, he was ridiculed, he was slandered relentlessly, yet he persevered. He did not throw in the towel. He, he, he kept following Jesus through that suffering diligently because he knew that Jesus is worth following even when he is suffering. Jesus was worth it. And just think what would have happened if Paul did decide to throw in the towel rather than persevere. I mean, we can only speculate because Paul was faithful to the end. But I mean, if he threw the towel when things got hard, think about the people, at least from a human perspective, who would have lost out. People who Paul had, had, had nourished their faith, had shared the gospel with, and there were people who would not have grown in the way that they did. There were people who, who may have not come to know Christ if Paul had thrown in the towel. I mean, think about the people who influenced me uh, down through the years. I am so thankful that they have followed Jesus 
diligently. And to the best of my knowledge, I mean, there's one I don't have any contact with anymore, so I'm not sure about him. But the other seven, they are all still following Jesus diligently. And that is, is such an encouragement to my heart. I mean, it's, it's such a great role model of what it looks like to follow Jesus. And so it, for us, I mean, these are all just ordinary people. I mean, there's nothing intrinsically special about them. They're just normal people. But they're seeking to follow Jesus and influence those around them. And we have that same opportunity to follow Jesus and influence those around us. So we, we face suffering. We face challenges. And not all of our challenges are related to persecution. We face many other challenges. But by persevering through suffering and challenges, we, that's part of role modeling. That, that's a part of demonstrating to those around us that Jesus is always worth following and being faithful to. And we have to remember that we don't do this from our own strength, but we do it as the grace of Christ Jesus strengthens us from the inside out. Now Paul, as we move on in this passage, gets into three different analogies to talk about what it looks like to follow Jesus diligently. First of all, we see in verse 4, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. And so part of following Jesus diligently is having the focus of a soldier. Now, I, I've never been in the military, but I've had enough friends who are veterans and have read enough military books to know that when you are in the military, you need to be focused. Especially when you're in battle, it requires focus. Because on one hand, a distracted soldier can quickly become a dead soldier. It takes focus, and your call is to follow the leading of your commanding officer when you're in the military. It takes focus. And you think about what a soldier is doing or not doing when they're out in the battlefield. Odds are good when a soldier is on the battlefield, they are not checking their voicemails. They're not checking to see what the latest Brewer's score is. They're not checking to see how their fantasy football team is doing. They're not trying to figure out, okay, what am I going to do on Saturday night? They're not making their shopping list. Those are all things, you know, civilians... When you're not in the battlefield, those are things that we either need to do or want to do. But when you're a soldier in the midst of battle, you have to be focused on what's at hand, on the task before you, and on following the lead of your commanding officer. And so Paul says that, that no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. And so for us, I mean, this is to be applied spiritually. We are called to have that focus of a soldier. Granted, you know what? We still have a lot of these practical things. We do have to check voicemails. We do have to go grocery shopping sometimes. We do have to do homework. We do have to make money. But at the same time, we have to make sure that all those other things don't usurp the priority that Jesus has. And that we don't get so entangled in all these other responsibilities of life that we lose focus on the greatest priority of all, which is following Jesus and making disciples of those around us. So we have to make sure that we have our focus right. And in today's world, I mean, I talked earlier about all the options that we have, and I, I imagine this resonates with all of us just looking at our world. We have a lot of options. We also have a lot of busyness. And I've heard it said many times, that if the devil can't make you bad, he will make you busy. And I think busyness is one of those primary factors that is preventing many people from following Jesus faithfully. 
and passing the baton well to others. Because in our busyness, we just get unfocused on Jesus. We get pulled in so many different directions. Rather than focusing on following him diligently. And on setting the priorities for ourselves and for our families. That really make the most difference in helping others follow Christ. And so part of being diligent in following Jesus is having the focus of a soldier. Paul goes on to say we also need the dedication of an athlete. He says in verse 5, Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. Back in ancient Greece, you know, that's where the Olympics were born, is ancient Greece. So they had these, these competitions, whether in the Olympics or other big competitions where they pulled people together to compete. But back in that era, before an athlete could compete in these games, or the, the Olympic Games or another athletic competition, they had to stand before judges and swear an oath to Zeus that they had committed at least 10 months of diligent training before those games came. And if they could not swear that they had committed at least 10 months diligent training in preparation for those games, they would not be allowed to compete. So most scholars believe that when Paul talks about you have to compete according to the rules if you want to win the crown, that that is one of the primary rules that's being referred to here. Because if you aren't in training, if you don't have that dedication beforehand, back in that era, you don't even have the chance to try to win the crown. You're disqualified before it even starts. And I think we all know that, that if you want to compete in athletics that are organized, it takes dedication. It takes training. You don't just show up on the day of the game or the day of the track meet or the day of the other event and just expect to compete well without putting a lot of training in behind the scenes. It is behind the scenes. I mean, it's not glamorous. It's hard work. It can wear you down. But it's the work that you do behind the scenes that really determines in large part, how are you going to do when you get out there on the actual game field? I mean, we watch sports on TV. I mean, right now all kinds of sports go on. Baseball and, and NBA playoffs and NHL playoffs. And, and then we have football that's always kind of lingering behind the scenes with draft coming up and stuff like that. But, but you know what? We see the games on TV. But that's not the only time they're playing. They have so much preparation that goes on behind the scenes. It takes dedication. It's the same for those of us who are following Christ and wanting to pass that baton to others. It takes dedication and training. And it's not always fun. I mean, I remember track in high school. It's not always fun to go out there and put in a lot of miles and push yourself hard behind the scenes, but that's what's required if you want to perform well at game time. And following Jesus, it's a day-to-day -day routine. Being prepared to be able to explain to others the logical reasons to believe in Christ. That is an ongoing routine. But it prepares us well for when game time comes. We need that dedication of an athlete. And I think of how, uh, you know, you hear those stories sometimes of when a veteran athlete is, say, traded to a new team. And that team had kind of a loose team culture beforehand. But then the new veteran comes in. And they set a completely different tone. They change the whole culture of that locker room or of that team because they have such a high level of dedication and preparation. And we have the opportunity to have that same type of influence in those around us, whether in our families or even in our workplaces, uh, among friends, that, that our, our modeling, our, our influence can make a true difference when we are seeking to follow Jesus diligently and respectfully and represent him wisely to those around us.
I mean, I think about parents. If you have children in the home still, you set the tone for that home as a parent, including spiritually speaking. And if you are wishy-washy or are only partially committed to Jesus in your faith, how are you going to expect to pass the baton well to your children faith-wise? But this applies other other cases as well. I mean, if, if you are, are um, a parent, but your children are out of the home, you still have an influence on your children. I, I know of multiple instances here at Freedon's of people who are empty nesters, whose children are no longer at home, but, but the parents get serious about following Jesus. And that has a significant influence on their kids to the point where it causes their kids to want to start following Jesus too. I've seen that multiple times. I think of young children and teenagers. I mean, those of you who fit in that category, you can have a tremendous influence as well. I mean, even this week, I, I, I heard the story um, about um, a, a person that when they were in kindergarten, helped lead their, their teacher, their kindergarten teacher, to Christ. I mean, an amazing story, isn't it? But that's the power that we all can have if we are following Jesus diligently and seeking to pass the baton to those around us. I mean, sometimes, I mean, even if you don't have children, even if you aren't a child, no matter what age you are, you have the opportunity to influence others for Christ. And you're certainly never too old to do that either. Sometimes people get the mentality as you get older um, to think, well, I've already done my time, been there, done that. It's time to let someone else do that now. You know what? For those of you who are a number of generations older, or not generations, you don't have a number of generations, <laughs> a number of decades older than I am, you have a wealth of wisdom and experience, and perhaps a wealth of, of walking with God for much longer than I've been alive, that you can share with others around you. And this is something that's hard to program into the ministries of the church, but it's something that you have the privilege, you have the opportunity to, to take someone under, under your wing, perhaps to see someone in a Sunday morning class or in a small group around Fellowship Hall after a service and say, hey, we just want to get together sometime for a meal. Maybe it starts that way. I think of how those men whose pictures are up on the screen, I mean, their ages range from 19 up to 72 in the time in which they were investing in my life. We're never too young, we're never too old to invest in the spiritual growth of those around us. And it's such a joy. It's such a joy. I think of 3 John 4. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And those children are not just biological children or adopted children, they're spiritual children that we invest in and get to see them walking as a follower of Jesus. Now back here to this passage, verse 6, says the hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. This talks about the diligence of a farmer. Farming is hard work. I had grandparents who were farmers. I spent a lot of time out there on the farm. It is hard work, especially back in Paul's era before the advent of modern machinery. Because when you're a farmer, you have to break up the soil. And then you have to remove the rocks. And then you have to plant the seed. And then you have to keep the bugs away. You have to keep the weeds from growing. You're praying and hoping that a flood or a drought doesn't come to ruin all your crops. And then you have to wait and wait and wait for months and months. And then hopefully a good harvest will come. It's, it's a process that requires a lot of patience. A lot of diligence. It's not a place for someone who is impatient or who is lazy. It requires delayed gratification, which is hard in today's world because we want things now. But it requires that patience 
waiting for the right timing to come. It's the same in ministry. That we plant seeds and we water seeds. And, and in other people's lives, metaphorically speaking, we help remove the weeds and the rocks that might be choking out their spiritual growth. We might apply some fertilizer here and there to help them to grow. But remember, we plant seeds, we water seeds that God makes them grow. But we are waiting and we are praying that there will be a harvest and that there will be growth. Because it takes that patience, that diligence of a farmer. But it's an incredible privilege and an incredible opportunity and an incredible joy to see God work through us to impact others with the gospel. Paul closes this passage with verse 7 saying, Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. And I pray that as a result of our digging into this passage here this morning, that God has given each one of us insight and encouragement to pass that baton well as we follow Jesus diligently. It does take sacrifice. It takes hard work. I mean, it takes us putting aside our own preferences in order to follow Jesus. But it's worth it. I think of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. We have to remember this is not based on our own ability, our own strength. It's based on God's grace. 1 Corinthians 15, 10. The Apostle Paul says, But by the grace of God I am what I am. His grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. And this shows that, that balance where Paul is saying, I'm working hard. I'm giving to everything I have. I'm running the race. I'm keeping the faith. I'm passing the baton. Yet not I, but it's the grace of God working in me that empowers me to do this. So it's the grace of God that, that we are submitting to and letting him work in and through us. And we live in a world with a lot of choices. A lot of different choices out there. Some are trivial, some matter in light of eternity. We have a lot of choices, but the choice to follow Jesus and the choice that, that prioritizes passing the baton is a choice to surrender. A lot of options out there, surrender them to the Lordship of Christ. I think back to Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. I love the way that that passage, I'm going to read it in a moment, lays out the choice that we have. Back in Joshua 24, 15, uh, Joshua is the leader of Israel, and he is calling the Israelites to recommit themselves to following God diligently. And he says to them at the culmination of this call, he says, But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the, whether the gods of your ancestors that they serve beyond the Euphrates, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are now living. So he's saying that there are options out there. You don't have to follow God. It's wise to follow God, but you could choose other options if you want. But as for me and my household, he says, we will serve the Lord. We have the option. We have decisions to make. But the decision to follow Jesus and to make disciples is a decision that's in line with how God created us. It's a decision that, that gives our lives meaning. That can go on into eternity. That, that it's not just trivial. You know, in this world, it's so easy to want to um, follow the options that are easy or comfortable or make our life more fun or more popular. But the decision to follow Jesus and to make disciples is a decision that has eternal ramifications and give us a deeper and more lasting joy than following just the things of this world. 
And so may we follow Jesus diligently and then take what we have learned about Jesus and pass them on to others who will then be able to pass them on to others who will then be able to pass them on to others. Passing that baton. But may we also remember that all this is possible only through God's amazing grace that he works in our lives. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for that privilege of being able to serve in your harvest field. Jesus, you, you told us to pray. Pray for your laborers in the harvest field because the, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Oh, Lord, we look around us and see many people who are in need of hope, in need of, of joy, in need of, of purpose, in need of salvation. And I pray that you will work in each one of us through your Holy Spirit and through your grace to empower us to be your ambassadors, to hold out that word of life um, as you empower us to follow Jesus diligently ourselves. I pray that you will help, uh, help us to, to choose to prioritize you in the midst of a complicated world and in the midst of a lot of busyness that many of us face. May we prioritize you. May we model what it looks like to follow you faithfully. And may we pass that baton on to others. And I pray, Lord, that because you are the one who softens hearts, that you will choose and those who are most near and dear to us to soften their hearts and help them to follow you faithfully. We pray these things in your name. Amen.